So this is going to be a little bit different of an episode. I uh, actually recorded this two years ago on my phone in a McDonald's, so the audio quality is going to be terrible. And I completely understand if it is distracting enough that you don't finish. But I just wanted to say this episode is perhaps the one that is the most meaningful to me and the one that I'm the proudest of because it was first. Two years ago, when I was just daydreaming about podcasting, I um, approached one of the men at our church because I was terrified of becoming a father. And so I just thought I should go talk to an expert and ask if he'll let me record it. And I did. And I sent it to several of my friends. And now I have a little bit of a platform and I want to share it with y'all. If you haven't heard it before, I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, Again, there's no pressure. You don't owe me a listen. But I just want to preface this by saying thank you, John Barker. Um, I was interested in talking to him because of his daughters. I knew them from youth group. I didn't really know him. But, you know, he's a girl dad, which honestly is the best kind of dad. No... (laughs) Yeah, I I have no um, doubts or hesitations about that. I am totally biased towards girl children, so in favor of them. So yeah, he has three daughters, uh, two of whom are twins. And the thing that was confusing to me and surprised, like the thing that I could not place is like, how are you so secure? How are you so comfortable in your own skin? Um, And I just... And they and you know every time they talked about their dad, it was with not just respect but with affection, right? Like they never spoke ill of him, which I mean, I guess you're not ever supposed to do. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, I um I did not have that kind of relationship with my dad, which again is a lot of that is on my end. Um, so I'm not trying to put my dad under the bus. This isn't about comparing with him, but I just I remember being like, man, how did you you raise three daughters and you're a pretty manly man? Like how how did you pull that off and why do they think the world of you? I just had to pick his brain. And so, yeah, anyway, I hope that this is encouraging and insightful for you. And if it's not, then on to the next one. I hope that y'all are having a good weekend. Thank God it's Friday. Okay, go for it. Dear God, we just thank you for this opportunity that you're giving Chris and me together this evening. And I ask that you're wisdom be shared actually between both of us and ask that your will be done in our lives and thank you for blessing Chris and his passion for you and his passion for sharing you with other people and please give him a platform to be a great example to others and continue to use him and his life going forward all throughout his life to serve you in the ways that you want and we just thank you for all you do for us God we're very grateful in Jesus name Amen Amen um, so I guess I wanted to start out a little bit with um, with like your like your childhood and your father um so how do you like how do you remember him i guess or like is he still alive is your father still alive no he died four years ago okay best dad in the world best dad in the world absolutely best dad ever so can you break it down for us a little bit like what where's that come from he um well first of all i'm adopted okay so they adopted me at birth okay um dad always he was never hypocritical. He always set a good example. Okay. He wasn't perfect, but um, he, his mantra, I guess you could call it, was always family is the most important thing there is. Okay. Um, I never heard him say God was more important than family. Okay. I'd always, I'm sure it was to him. He was, right. You know, he's in heaven. He was saved, but he always just drilled that into us. Family is the most important thing ever. And he showed that. Absolutely. Absolutely. His... We lived in a pretty nice part of town. Okay. Um, Did you grow up here in Lakeland? Or? In Lakeland, yeah, right off Lake Collinsworth. Okay. And um, he never made much money, but he was pretty good about saving money. Okay. And he knew real estate because when he moved to Florida, he became a realtor. Okay. <clears throat> and had a chance to buy a, a divorced couple was selling a house for almost nothing in a nice neighborhood, so we bought into it. Right. We had a lot of doctors that lived on the street and... Um, the president of Publix, um, Eddie Crenshaw, I don't know if you've heard the name, just okay. retired a couple years ago, lived next to us. Uh, wow. The Watkins, Watkins Truck Line lived next to us. And I mean, just real affluent. 
but all the kids, neighborhood kids, would be over at our house all the wow. time because their dads were off making money. Ah. And they were never around. So my dad was the dad to everybody. Wow. He'd, we'd take neighborhood kids camping or fishing because their dads wouldn't, they were too busy. Right. And so, yeah, he really showed that. Not just his own family was important, but just family, like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was a great example to other people. And, and I don't think there was ever a person on the planet that met him that didn't like him. I use the term, everybody loves John Barker, about okay. my dad. You know, okay. he just... He didn't Are you have, a junior? Yeah. Okay. He didn't have an enemy in the world. and But he really showed he was very self unselfish and sacrificial and just... He gave us everything for his family. So he was the best dad ever. Do you have a favorite memory with him? A favorite I'm memory? I'm sure there's several, but... Well, I'll, I'll give you an example of what showed what kind of dad he was. So he and I were fishing in Tampa Bay, okay. and I think I was in probably 10th or 11th grade. And we were fishing in Tampa Bay in his boat, and we had put in a place called Bishop Harbor. Okay. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's probably grown up now, but down a long dirt road, and we put in. We were the only ones that put in there, and we were out fishing, and a storm came up. So we're like, well, we better get back to the, the car, you know. So as we were going up this harbor, the wind sucked all the water out of there. So the water got so shallow the boat wouldn't go. So I got out with the rope and sludged through the mud as far as I could go until the boat was completely dry. There was no water left. And about that time, this thunderstorm was on us. So he and I got out of the boat and crawled under some mangroves and hunkered down and lightning's cracking everywhere. And afterwards, I don't remember if he said it first or I said it first, but but I think I said at first, like, Dad, you know, he's like, man, I was so worried about you. I'm like, I wasn't worried about me. I was worried about you. And I said, you know, I didn't care what happened to me. And he said, I was the same way. He said, you know, I, I didn't care if lightning hit me. I just wanted you to be okay. So we had that love for each other. And I mean, he was just awesome. Yeah, I believe it. Great sense of humor all the time. So lots of fun stories. Um, okay, so can you tell me a little bit about your wife? Uh, like how you guys met and like what year? We met in North Carolina. Okay. Um, friend of mine's aunt has a place in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Okay. Resort town. I don't know if you know about Blowing Rock. I think I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Summer resort town. Winter, it's a ghost town. Um, she had a house up in this country club, and Sam's dad had a house up there too. Nobody goes up there in the winter, but we got out of college break, and we're like, um, "Hey, let's go up there, you know, for the for Christmas time, for the winter." So we were the only two families up there, and we just happened to meet. Oh wow! And her dad was a, a Florida graduate, Florida okay. Gator, and I was a Florida graduate. My buddy Lenny was a Florida graduate, and uh, it was just me and him up there. And Sam had. Is that who you're talking to on the phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Sam and uh, her sister were up there, and okay. so the only six people in the whole town were us six. Okay. You know, so we just got to know each other and um, had a lot had a lot of common friends, but we were totally different. We were not at all alike. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't want to have anything to do with her at all. So what changed that? God. Um, I remember I was at, on a job, and I was, this particular job, I had to walk through a pretty dense, it was going to be a future housing development, and I had to go out there, and I had to do a bunch of hand augers to see what kind of soils were, and so it was going through the woods, and I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere, and I was just praying to God and said, you know, I don't, I don't want this girl, you know. What do you want me to do with her, you know? How do I let her down or whatever? He's spoken to me three times in my life. And one of them was right in there and he said, I want you to take care of her. I'm like, well, you've got to be kidding me. He's like, no, I want you to take care of her. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. I was trying to pawn her off on my buddies and wasn't interested in, at all in her. Oh, my goodness. So Okay, so after you like heard that take care of her, what, what did you... Like, 
how did you get from there to here? Because I, I can't imagine you're still trying to pop her off. So. No, 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 no. So, I mean, we, you know, that gave me kind of a different viewpoint that okay. more of, you know, I really need to take an interest okay. in her okay. rather than just kind of blow her off. Okay. And one of the things Chris, my dad, told me, and there's a few things throughout life that, that he would tell me and I remember him, but in college, I was dating a girl. And um, I didn't really love her at all. She loved me. She wanted to get married. But anyway, I asked Dad, I said, you know, Dad, what's important? You know, how important is it to be in love with your wife? And he, he called me Jack. He said, Jack, that's not important at all. He said, it's important that she come from a good family. And it's important that you all get along and like to do things together. And he said... If you like to do things together and you spend time together, you'll grow to love each other. Mm. So his idea was love was not this gaga, feel good, love at first sight thing. And I think he was right. Love is grown and it comes out of an unselfish commitment. You know, love is, love is unselfish. It's you care more about the other person than you care about yourself. So in any relationship... If you really do care more about the other person and their well-being than yours, that's love. So we just we that grew over time, and you know the more I and she started to change in ways that were more like I was. Like you know, I was a college graduate. She never went to college. Oh, she was. I mean, she was the anti of so many things I was. She had no career aspirations. She was introverted, shy. She had no drive to do anything. I mean, she was totally opposite. But we started dating, and she decided she wanted to go to college on her own. So she went to college, and she it was cool to see the transformation in her. And she just needed good influences. She grew up with bad influences. No parents. Her dad did the best he could, but he wasn't... He wasn't, um, he had been hurt when he was young, so he had this shield around him, and he just didn't know how to let people in. Okay. But he did everything he could for her, okay. um, and her mom and stepdad were too much. To, I mean, so she just didn't have the, if she'd have been raised with my parents, she'd have been like I was, but that's not how she was raised. Right. So what are some ways that... Um I guess like, you talked a little bit about her changing to be like I guess in some ways more similar to you. Uh-huh. So I guess what are some what are some things that you've learned from her or some ways that she's um, I guess like balanced you out or rounded you out? You'd probably have to ask her. I don't know anything. Okay. All right. To tell you the truth. Okay. Um, she's um, we are so easygoing. Okay. That. And especially with each other. We're going out to Utah in September. Um, and she and I will spend four days out there together, just us two. And we'll be driving and sightseeing and stopping for picnic lunches and fishing. And both of us are happy just being there and being with each other. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Okay. We're not real picky about things. And I guess that that's helped a lot in the terms of, like, you're not trying to actively, like, change each other or trying oh, to get no, away no, or anything like no. that. No. Um, I, you know, Chris... People can change, but it's hard. The The person has to want to change. You can't change anybody else. Um, so she started seeing my friends who were college guys, you know, successful in terms of that. They all had educations, fun-loving, crazy, wild guys, and that's the kind of people's that's the kind of person she wanted to be and the people she wanted to hang around with. And um, instead of, you know, flunkies and dropouts. and um, So that just that environment. Um, she wanted to change and she was put in that environment to change and she did. So with your dad being the awesome dad that he was, were you really excited to be a dad when, when you're like... No. No? Uh, I wanted to. Right. But it was more, Chris, you know, I don't get uptight about much. There's okay. not much that freaks me out. Okay. Um, 
I knew I was going to be a dad. Okay. And when she told me, I'm like, that's that's really cool. Okay. You know, um, but I, w- I didn't freak out. I didn't you know run around right. the house screaming and hollering and um, and I knew everything was going to work out fine. Okay. Um, and it did. I knew nothing about taking care of an infant. Knew nothing about taking care of twins. Right. And um, so how did you? I guess like how practically like what did you do from that point like how did you how did you prepare was it a lot of trial and error or oh it's all trial and error being a parent all of it is wow Uh, we went to a parenting class that talked about um, pretty much just talked about the process of the pregnancy and it was kind of like a Lamaze class okay so that and you go together as couples, and so the guy can appreciate what the girl's going through, and the girl can appreciate, you know, what the guy's going through in this. And, um, but, you know, changing diapers, I never, nobody ever showed me how to change a diaper. You just do it, you know? You just figure that stuff out. Um, I loved, I would, right now, Chris, if I could go back and spend one day with any of my daughters at age three, I would write you a ten thousand dollar check to spend one day with them at three years old again. But the thing is, in the in the moment, you're too busy taking care of things of them, of work, of the house, of bills, and all of a sudden, you don't have time to sit back and enjoy it, and really sit back and enjoy it the way I'd like to. I mean, all the girls were so fun to be with; they were a blast, and never gave us trouble. Um, but I'd like to spend just, you know, 20 hours with them doing nothing but playing and talking and interacting. You don't get much of that time during any given day, you know, between work and, like I said, taking care of everything. Yeah. Um, so let's, I guess, rewind a little bit. And uh-huh. here, um, can you uh, talk a little bit about how you came to know Jesus for yourself? I grew up in the church. Okay. Um, and Chris, as far back as I can remember, I knew Jesus. Um, I can remember being, must have been three or four years old, because uh, we were living in our first house we lived in here. <clears throat> and I can remember watching on TV <clears throat> the story, and I don't know what movie it was, but it was about Jesus' death and resurrection, and his life and death and resurrection. And I can still picture it right now, seeing him on the cross, and I lost it. I mean, I could watch, We my brother and I like to watch scary movies and stuff, so that's not what, it was just seeing Jesus up there on the cross suffering. I, I lost it, crying like, well, I was a little kid, but, you know, crying like a little baby. And uh, I still, if I really think about him on the cross, I, I cry. I can't. Imagine the pain he went through for me and for you and for the world, really. So I can't remember a time when I didn't have that personal relationship. It wasn't a, hey, I made a decision at age 11. Right. I didn't. It was, I knew him all along. Okay. You know. So what what does your... um I guess, like, what does your relationship look like on a day-to-day basis, like, in terms of, like, how you... With God? Yeah. How do you spend time with God, or, like, what are some ways that you... First of all, he's always with me. Okay. Always. Okay. He's right here with us. I don't hear him, I don't see him, I don't feel him, but I know he's here. Okay. Um, in the morning when I wake up, I try to, before my, literally, before my feet hit the floor... I'll sit up in bed, I'll swing my feet around, and before they hit the floor, I'll thank him for the awesome day that he's created. And then I will spend probably all total 20 minutes in prayer every morning. Um, And then at night, the last thing I do before I turn the light out is I read the Bible. I've been doing this for years. Okay. And I read... At least one chapter every night. Okay. I don't do devotionals. I mean, I have. Right. But to me, God speaks to us through His Word stronger than any other way. Right. Even if you don't realize it. You know, I can read, and I, I'll tell you, for the most part, I'll read a chapter of the Bible 
especially early on. Now it's a little different, but my first 10 or 15 years of reading the Bible, I could read a chapter and tell you I didn't get anything out of it. I don't understand what they're saying. I don't understand any of this. But it's inside me. Right. And it's it, the Bible's weird. It does work in you, even if you don't realize it. It's part. It becomes part of you. It becomes part of your spirit. You know, part of your soul. Really. And it just, you know, I can't quote a lot of the Bible. Okay. I can quote some stuff that really means a lot to me. But I can paraphrase a whole bunch of it. Right. You know? And the more influence we have from anywhere is the more impact that has on us. You know, if you're, if you like to watch these, you know, murder mysteries on TV or whatever, you know, that's going to impact you. And so to me, it's all about spending time talking to him one on one. And it's about last thing on my mind before I turn the lights out is his word in me. And um, so that's and you know I mean there's times when I'll be like working in the yard and I'll just be talking to him and you know I do a lot of praying for other people. Um, and God hears my prayers. I mean He's answered so many of my prayers. And I've learned to to ask Him. You know. I want your will to be done, God. Right. Please do this, but only if it's your will. And that took me a while to learn that because there were things that I wanted that that were pure and righteous and I'd ask God for them and He wouldn't give them to me. And uh, I will tell you one thing, Chris, and, and I've heard this from a lot of Christians. I've heard many Christians say they were mad at God for death in the family or for, you know, these tragic situations that come in these people's lives that, you know, they got mad at God. And I can tell you, I've never for a second in my life been mad at God. Really? Absolutely not. I mean, who am I? I don't understand a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what God's plans are. You know, He's God. He knows everything. He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows what's going on everywhere all the time. Who am I to judge a righteous, perfect God who I know loves me? Who am I to be mad at Him? You know, I don't see why He does everything He does, but I don't need to. Trust Him. So, now that's not to say that it's bad to be mad at God, but for me, it is. I just I don't have the capacity to get mad at God. It, to me, and I hear a lot of my friends say they're mad at God or they've been mad at God about things. And to me, that's more of a knee-jerk reaction. It's not a very thoughtful reaction because, you know, I mean, an ant crawling along there, how can he understand Einstein's theory of relativity? You right. know, he didn't even know we're humans, much right. less what we know, much less the universe. I mean, and we're much smaller than ant compared to God. You know, I mean, it's just why would we? Why would we judge him? So actually, that's a um, that's one of the things that made me want to talk to you in the first place. Was um, Sarah had been telling me a little bit about her? Um, she's also trying to get uh, not trying to, but um, applying to colleges and some things that she went through with that. Mm-hmm. And at the end mm-hmm. of it, she said that like she was grateful for the time that she had had, even though it wasn't. Um, just a straight line, right? Like it wasn't right. as easy as it is for most people. Right. And so I was, I was a little bit curious about that, and I asked her, "What do you mean you're not mad?" And she said, "Well, I think I get that from my dad because he's never really angry either." Um, and so I was curious, how did you, like, when you were raising your daughters, like, what did you like? Were you, were you taking them aside and like imparting these things to them, or was it just part of like when you spent time with them, something they picked up on their own, or a little both? Both. Um, we only had two rules in the house, and, yeah. and if they broke any of these two rules, they would get a spanking. And the first rule is don't tell a lie. And I'll tell you, Chris, I don't lie. I absolutely do not lie. Does it mean I don't slip up because I might be in a high-pressure situation or things moving real fast and I, you know, I say something that's not quite the truth? That happens. But I'll tell you, intentionally, 
I mean, I want on my headstone, he, he didn't lie. That's nah, not on my headstone, but it's that important to me. Um, so, never lie. And, of course, the second one covers everything. It's don't disobey us. If you do either of those two things, you're going to get a spanking. And each of the girls got spankings, but probably one or two in their lives. You know, we weren't real. I mean, they didn't really lie. Um, and I think they get that from us. I think they get a lot of that from me. Lying to me is so stupid because when, and I've been in especially work situations where I know the guy's lying, and he knows that I know he's lying, but he does it anyway. It's just so stupid. You know, why do you, who do you think you're fooling? You're not fooling somebody else when you're lying. You're kind of fooling yourself. Right. You know, there's just no, it's silly for people to lie. It's kind of foreign to me, really. Um, so, they, um, there were things they did. A uh, cute little story about Sarah. She was, she was a little thing. And she came out of uh, her bedroom one morning for school, and it was a warm morning, you know. And she had her sweatshirt on with her hood, her hoodie on, hood pulled up. And I knew right away something's up, you know, but as a little kid, you think you're going to trick your friends. Right. Well, she had cut her hair by herself, and she didn't want us to notice, so she, and I didn't question her, because I didn't want to put her in a situation to make her choose whether to lie or not. Okay. But, um, she, and I could tell by looking at her, she felt really bad about disobeying. I wasn't really disobeying, because we never told them, don't cut your hair. She just announced Right, so we, she didn't get a spanking for it. It was cute, but she got to school and her hair was all. She did a pretty good job on the bangs, but the rest of it was pretty ragged. So her teacher at school, you know, trimmed her hair up for it. It actually looked pretty good, and we all got a laugh out of it. But kids, kids think they're smarter than they are, right? And they think their parents are dumber right. than they are, and so you just have to laugh at a lot of that stuff when they're little. And they're just precious moments, precious memories. So you remember even a lot of that as funny more than like things oh, that yeah. you were stressing about? I didn't stress about anything, Chris. I never stressed about anything with the girls. The only thing that... And they, they all had pretty good health. So they never had any, you know, really bad health issues. The worst thing was when Judy had Lyme disease a year ago. You know, okay. And that was... Pretty. Uh, I mean, I prayed a lot for that every day. But you don't stress over those things. Um, it's life. You know, God's going to take care of it all. Are we going to stub our toe and fall down, skin our knee, and He'll pick us back up? Sure. You know, is life? Are there going to be situations that absolutely suck? Sure. But who are we to second guess? You know, why we're doing that? I mean, think about it. Even school, you do a lot of work that's not fun. Right. You know, but there's, there's a reason for it. And there's a reason for everything that happens to us. We just don't know it. And I, quite frankly, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. If God wants to tell me, great. But you hear people say, you know, God, why did you do this? I've never questioned God about why he does things. That's stupid on my part. I mean, my way of thinking. It's not saying that's wrong to question God, because a lot of really good people do that, and a lot of good Christian people do that. It's just not my personality. I don't need to know. So, no, I didn't ever stress out about anything with the girls. Um, it, it really just was... And I, I think, Chris, it goes to your personality. Like, the job I had before the one I have now... I had one of my employees, the guy was brilliant, and he would he would tell me, I don't know how you do this job, I don't know how you put up with the stress. And I'm like, what stress? There's no stress in this job. So it's all your outlook. You know, um, I always had the saying that nothing bad can happen to me, Chris. Nothing bad can happen to me. If you tell me anything, that's not bad. It's unpleasant. But it's temporary. Everything on this earth is temporary. 
The only bad thing that can happen to me is if I lose my salvation, and that ain't going to happen. So, in light of that perspective, nothing bad can happen to me. What I learned through some tough times was I used to always say, God will never give me anything I can't handle. And I learned that's wrong. Sometimes He will Himself give me something I can't handle. So that I learned to say now, God will never give me anything that He and I together can't handle. And I had to learn that through some things that I couldn't handle. Tough situations. And learn to rely on Him. But still, nothing bad can happen to me. Nothing bad can happen to you. I can see how that attitude is contagious. It makes sense then. Absolutely it does. You know, you get a splinter in your finger. Some people say, oh, it's the end of the world. You know, it's going to heal. Who cares? You know, now, now there's some tough situations. Loss of loved ones, broken relationships. Those things are really unpleasant. Really tough. Um, but I don't think they're bad. They're temporary. There's nothing that can happen to us that's not temporary, Chris. So... You know your da- you know your daughter's a lot better than I do, better than anybody who's ever gonna mm-hmm. be impacted by this is going to. So can you um, give us just a snapshot of like how they are through your eyes, like as opposed because I know them as like friends and teammates. Deborah is more cerebral. Okay. Um, more driven. Um, more laid back. Both more driven and more laid back? Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Okay, sorry. Judy is headstrong. And she gets that from me. <laughs> when she wants something, you're not gonna keep her from you're not gonna stop her from getting it. Um she's but she's not as driven as Deborah. Okay. She's a little more go with the flow. Um, she's more sensitive than Deborah. She's quite a bit more sensitive than Deborah. Um, Sarah absolutely just melts my heart. I mean, she's—I don't know if it's because she's the baby or whatever—but I—I've I, said about Sarah, she can smash her finger in the door and smile about it. She's always smiling, no matter yes. what happens. Yes. I can rarely ever remember seeing her cry, even as a kid, little kid, a couple times. The kids, you know, the twins would pick on her or something. I mean, you know, she would, but I mean, she just has this joy in her that is, and I think she gets that, I mean, obviously from God, but that's the way I am. You know, you, what's there not to be happy and joyful about, you know? Yeah, there's bad things that happen, Chris. There's some really sad things that go on. But it's all temporary. You know, think about a natural disaster, you know, and we look at that and and we feel for the people, um, like the tsunamis, you know, that happened and killed a couple hundred thousand people. People, or 9-11, you know, any of these things, or the Columbine High School shootings, you know, people look at these and say, well, how can a good God let these bad things happen? These people are going to die anyway of something, you know? If I get run over by a bus on my way home tonight, be happy for me. Be happy I didn't live to be till I may have gotten cancer or something, you know? I mean, it's all good. It's all... Um, so those people in these natural disasters are going to die anyway. Um, why, who am I to question God why he took them early, why he takes infants or young kids early? He's taken them to a way better place, way more cool place than this world, because this world's tough. You know, this, this world is a tough place to navigate through. Um, it's, it's like hunters. I'm not a hunter. I don't have the heart to shoot an animal. Um, but I'm glad there are hunters because it's good for the population. And if you think about it, if a deer gets shot, 
that's a way more pleasant death than he's going to face otherwise. He's going to get old and starve or eaten alive by another animal or something. So, you know, I don't think the it's sad for us. We can empathize with those people and with their families, with the loss, with the tragedy. But it's temporary. You know, it's all temporary. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add, or any, um, I guess, if, you, if there was one thing you wanted me to remember, or I guess I could take away besides besides the fact that it's temporary and the fact that that God is good? One of the things that, and I learned this in college, my first year and a half of college, I absolutely hated it. It was the most miserable time in my life. Um, I had made straight A's in high school, and my dad never had much money. And but he thought he thought I should be a doctor because he knew our neighbors' doctors had plenty of money. They didn't have the worries he had about finances and losing your job or your company getting bought in a merger and you're getting laid off. And he always worried about that. Um, so I got up there and I learned that the people who were in pre-med were just too competitive, too backstabbing, um, and I didn't want those people to be my peers, so I was just absolutely in a horrible place mentally or emotionally. And um, I, I would tell you back then that the greatest thing that ever happened to me at that time was I learned to like myself. But in hindsight, and I would have told you that for years, but in hindsight, I think I learned to like who God made in me. Um, I don't know if you've ever been or known somebody that just doesn't like themselves or they're in a bad spot or they're like, you know, John, you idiot, you know, why did you do this? Or, you know, you made these bad decisions or mistakes or, you know, you're involved in a bad relationship or you're drugging or drinking or, you know, I mean, there's all these things and people can get really down on themselves. And um, I was down on myself because I felt like I let everybody else down. I mean, you know, Kids in high school called, would call me Dr. Barker kidding, teasing, you know. Um, and I felt like I let everybody else down by not wanting to be a doctor. And I felt really bad about myself. And it probably took me a couple weeks. Um, once I finally decided that I was going to tell everybody I'm not going to be a doctor anymore, um, it took me a while to with a light bulb to come on to really like myself and say, you know, it's okay that I'm not a doctor. It's okay that I disappoint everybody. Uh, all that stuff's okay. I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a bad person. You know, that's not going to define who I am. And so I really, maybe you call it self-esteem. Um, maybe liking myself is not the right terminology, but I learned to feel good about myself and to have high self-esteem and to realize I'm not a bad guy, you know, I'm a good guy, and i got a lot to offer, and, um, you know, do I do stupid things? Yeah, everybody does, that's life, but, you know, the people that are going to be disappointed in me, if they love me, it doesn't matter, and the people that, you know, are going to say I'm a failure because I didn't become a doctor, screw them, if they don't love me, I don't care, so... But you, you gotta, you gotta have peace with yourself. You gotta, and this is gonna reflect on your kids. Um, your outlook in life is gonna determine how they are. And like it or not, your kids are gonna, they're gonna be like their dad a lot more than they're gonna be like their mom. Really? Absolutely. Um, your daughters, if you have daughters, are going to want to marry a guy like their dad, like you are. It's just the way things are. Um, so you'll have much more influence on your kids than your wife will. And she'll have a lot of influence. But, you know, you're the leader of your family. 
you know, the man is the leader, and there's a thing called servant leadership, um, where, you know, I, I mean, I've tried to serve my family every day. You know, it doesn't mean I'm the king and I'm there, you know, go get me a drink, you know, or whatever, you know, go get me a hamburger or do this or, you know, hey, go do my laundry. I mean, none of that stuff. It's about serving them, but it's servant leadership. And um, I think that's one of the sad things in today's society is that so many kids grow up without dads because in single parent or welfare families or I mean there's a whole gamut of people the mom physically has the baby she can't leave you know I mean the dad can he can walk away she can't unless she gets an abortion you know but she has a kid she's there physically and she's going to be the one that raises the kid in a single parent home and unfortunately, kids need dads. Daughters and sons, boys and girls need dads. Your wife's not going to provide the strength, that, the emotional strength and the security that you're going to provide for your kids. And kids need that. Kids need you to be strong. Kids need you to be... And when I say strong, they need you to be committed and steady and and, and you know, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He didn't change. You know. And I think that's one of the things that's real important as a dad is be consistent. But you're not gonna be perfect. I'm not I screwed up so many times. Um, but I think if you turn it over to God, um, He'll smooth out all this stuff. You know, it's all going to turn out great. Um, one thing I'll tell you about being a dad, too, is don't be hypocritical. Um, a lot of my friends um, would, you know, we'd go watch a ball game or something or have a cookout or whatever, and they'd drink beer, and their little kids are running around. And I'm like, um, you know, dude, you ought not to be drinking beer unless you want your kids to be drinking beer when they grow up and they're like oh no they won't one of them his one of my friends his he had a uh, his drinks he would call daddy's juice so his little son who's my godson who's now an alcoholic by the way would say you know daddy's juice what kind of freaking stuff is that you know I mean what how can you as a parent drink alcohol and expect your kids not to want to do that. Now, if you don't mind them doing that, then it's okay. But I would venture to say, Chris, 99% of the parents who drink alcohol and say that they don't mind that their kids drink alcohol, they're just justifying drinking themselves. I don't think any parent wants their kids to grow up drinking, you know? Now, are they? Sure. You know, it's society today. But you, you can't be hypocritical with kids. They're way too smart. They'll see right through that. You know, if you're if you're angry at home but happy at outside the home, your kids are going to see right through that. They're not going to see the face you put on outside the home. They're going to see who you are by who you are at home. So lead by example. That's what leadership's about. You know, and if if you're having problems with any type of leadership, you don't have to be perfect. Um, but keep trying. You know. One of the things that's so important in a relationship is, I've always said, Chris, I will never have an affair with another woman. It's impossible because I'm not built that way. And I will tell you, I will never have an affair with another woman. Never have, never will. But I've learned the reason is I'll never take those first steps. Because if I take those first steps, I'm caught, buddy. It's too late. I can't get myself out of it. So there's a phrase, guard your heart. Guard your heart, buddy. Because none of us are strong enough to... If 
it's like any kind of sin, you know, you get on that slippery slope and you can't get out of it. So guard your heart, guard your family. Stay consistent. Don't be hypocritical. Don't stress over things. Don't think you have to be perfect because you're not going to. And everything's going to be fine. It is. Now you see why I had such a great dad. And he and I were absolute best friends. And um, in high school, they did an article on me. The, I went to Lakeland High School. So we had 2,100 students in three, three grades. So it was a big school. They did an article on me. Uh, they did an article on senior senior person once every month. And so they did an article on me. And they would ask people, you know, who's your favorite music group? You know, who's your favorite hero? What's your favorite thing to do? And um, all the kids said on, you know, who's your hero? All the kids would say some political figure or, you know, Abraham Lincoln or something. And they'd ask you why, and these kids would give the stock answers. Well, in mine, they asked me, um, who's your hero? And I said, my dad. And they said, why your dad? And I said because Dad showed me how, what it's like to be loved unconditionally and unimaginably by a dad here on this earth. And I said he always put his family first, um, and we were the most important things in his life. So he and I were always just so tight, so close. And I hope, I, I, mean, I won't probably ever be that close to any of my daughters because they're not guys. I mean, right. Dad and I can do things that I can't do with my daughters. You know, we could we go in the Everglades for a week together. You know, no power, no nothing. I mean, we just be together and hang out. You know, and just do things you can't can't do with girls. Or I wouldn't do it. Or my you know, our, my daughters probably wouldn't want to do it. I mean, I take them fishing and stuff, but he and I did some pretty cool things. And he went through, because he was a guy, he went through the same things I went through growing up, and we could relate with that. Girls go through different things. So I'll never be, I'll never have that kind of bond with my daughters, but I'll tell you right now, Chris, if a, if a gunman walked in and one of my daughters were here, I'd absolutely step in front of them. No questions asked. If one of them needed a transfusion or uh, body part and I would die for them to live in a heart I mean absolutely and I'd be stoked about it that kind of love that I have for my daughters and you won't be able to understand that until you have kids I told my parents after we had shortly after we had the twins I told them, I went over to the house and said, Mom and Dad, I, I never could appreciate how much you loved me until I had the twins. And they're like, that's right. And until, until you're a dad, you can't understand that kind of love. Anyway, I've rambled on a lot of stuff. No, I appreciate it. I wanted I wanted your voice, not mine. Well, do you have any questions for me? I mean, you said you might ask personal or all questions or whatever. Ask me anything. I may not answer you. I may tell you, but no, ask me anything. I've gotten. I think I've gotten most of the answers that I was better. Honestly, I, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know how it was going to go, but I wasn't worried about it. But you know what I mean? I yeah. wasn't sure. Um, no, I really appreciate your your perspective. Um, it's a lot to think about. I'm probably going to play this over several times just to. I don't know. Think about it. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, I never. I knew some of these things individually. Like I know it's going to be okay, but I, it's hard for me to believe it. Or I know that I don't know that I'm going to mess up and it's going to be okay. Sure. It's hard to put those things together. Um, I think it's. I think a lot of the time, a lot of the things that that you see as good, I'm, I'm struggling to see that way. But I really appreciate your time and your perspective. And um, it, it's easy to believe things like what I'm sitting across the table from you that yeah. when I go back in my car, it might not be as easy to believe. But it's it's growth. <clears throat> you know, there's you can't replace gray hairs. 
you just can't. One of the advantages I had is my parents were actually, one of the girls I dated in high school, her grandfather graduated high school with my mother. My parents were like two generations. They were like in 40 and 42 when they adopted me at birth. You know, so, so they were, so I was always more mature and everybody would always tell me that, man, you're really mature for your age. Well, I think it's because of my parents and being raised in that with more mature parents, you know. So you'll, you'll get there. Um, an, another thing, and I, I'll give credit to this guy. His name is John Barnett. Well, when I decided I didn't want to be a doctor, I came home and told Dad, you know, Dad, I'm not going to be a doctor, and screw you if you don't like it. And I didn't use the word screw you. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And um, because I felt like he was pushing me so hard all these years. And um, his response was, okay, let's figure out what you want to do. I mean, I just cussed him out, you know. Had you ever done that before? No. Wow. Never. But I was so strong, and he knew. Um, I didn't cuss him out, but I told him, you know, if you don't like it, you can blank yeah. off. Yeah. Because I was just, all that had been building up all those years. He only wanted what was best for me, right. what he thought was best for me. And um, so anyway, he got me a job co-oping at the phosphate mines to a, a mutual friend of ours. And I met a guy out there, his name is John Barnett. And, you know, I was like in between, I don't know what I want to do, Mr. Barnett, you know. And I'm disappointed all these people and stuff. And he sounds just like me. He's like... John, don't worry about it. You know, you're smart enough to do anything you want to do, and oh, don't worry about it, you know. And he used to always tell me, an optimist will run circles around a pessimist. And his optimism just taught me a new way to look at things. Um, really and truly, why, why get upset about anything? He told me a story. He and his brother were grove owners, big grove owners. And his brother was an executive at the mine, and John was an engineer, but not at the executive level. John was the optimist, always smiling, always happy. Dave, the executive, was always worried about things. So there was a, the news said one year, the news said there's a freeze coming. And Dave, the worrier, called John the optimist, and he's like, we're going to lose our groves. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And John's like, I don't worry about it, Dave. And every day for like, you know, five or six days, Dave was like wringing his hands and crazy. And John's like, ah, it's going to happen. And the freeze came and wiped out their grove. So Dave, the worrier, called John and said, I told you we were going to lose our groves. And John said, Dave, you know the difference between you and me? He said, we both lost our grove. He said, but you worried about it for five days and I didn't worry about it at all. So your worry and all it did was make you miserable. And that was real powerful to me. And that's just the way John was. That's a really cool story though. That's I thought of that a lot. Did you use up all your memory? <laughs> no, no, I <laughs> I have a question for you off the record. Um uh, 